Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Linda. Hi, my name is, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, my name is Linda. I'm a compulsive overeater and a bulimic. Hi, Linda. Happy birthday. Welcome to the people that have come back. Thank you, Susan, for asking me to share. And thank you, my friend Susan and Enid, for being here. We go back the longest in the programs together. We've had some sponsors, some of the same sponsors, lots of the same meetings, and we've been trudging this road for a long time. Um, and I've been in this room millions of times, well, many times, not millions, <laughs> over the years, but not lately, because um, I live in the Valley. But anyway, what it was like was, um, I was born in Chicago, came here when I was four, my mom, my dad, and me. And seven years later, my sister was born. And, um, you know, I don't know when I crossed over that line to become a compulsive overeater, um, but I know I started taking diet pills when I had very little weight to lose. And diet pills led me to lots of other drugs. And um, I came to OA for the first time 1972. So do the math. That was a long time ago. And how I got here was I was living in Beverly Hills, and I looked in the – I'll just kind of summarize it. I looked in the mirror one day. My life was completely unmanageable, and I asked God for help. And I had the number of a woman, a therapist, who a man I had been working for and seeing on and off, and he somehow had the number of this woman. And um, I went to her to see her, and she put me in her group. And in that group, there were people that were in Overeaters Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous, and so I asked God to help me, and God led me to these rooms. And I went to my first meeting at Crescent Heights in Olympic, and I remember sitting down and um, identifying with the people in the rooms and the feelings, and and I felt like I belonged. But it, it took me – I can't say I got it from that particular moment, but I started working the program. I, I got a sponsor, and I went to meetings, and – but I hadn't really admitted to my innermost self that I was powerless and that my life was unmanageable. I still had the notion that I could do it my way. And, you know, when I came in and out of these rooms from 19, well, 1974, I um, took a self-help weekend. And um, the weekend didn't really help me with my food addiction or my drug addiction or my alcoholism. It just made me realize that I should be on time and that um, I should take responsibility for my actions and that I should ride the horse in the direction it's going. These are some of the things I remember about it. And um, after I assisted at one of their events, I was a few blocks from my house and I hit these parking meters near my house and made a phone call and someone said, you know, you're an alcoholic, so I started going to AA. And I'm not going to share a lot about AA, but... It was very connected for me, my drug addiction, my bulimia, my alcoholism, my food addiction. It all kind of blended together, and I started going to AA for a few months, and a friend of mine who wasn't in any program said, you're not an alcoholic, and I said, you're right, and I left. 
So that's what it that's what it was like. And um, you know, I just remember doing a lot of crazy things behind eating, behind food, behind weight, obsessing, thinking about it, going for shots, going for pills, getting all the books, going for colonics, just everything. And nothing worked in the long run. Everything worked for a minute, but nothing worked in the long run. And um, I came back to AA, and I got I got a sponsor who understood bulimia and overeating and alcoholism mixed together, because that was my story. It just one one led to the other, and it was a vicious circle, and I did all of it. And um, so my my absence started with. Um, no, no bulimia and no sugar. And when I could weigh and measure, I started weighing and measuring. And when I could, I went, got onto three meals. And and um, my bottom line abstinence over all these years has. I came back. It, it, well, I came in and out of the rooms. And in 1978, I came back. And I was in another um, apartment, looking in a mirror, saying, "God help me." Two things I wasn't going to do that day was eat or drink, and I ended up at the Mustache Cafe eating and drinking. And um, I had a moment of clarity at the Mustache Cafe <laughs> when I was going into the bathroom, coming out, going in, coming out. And I had a moment where I just thought, this is crazy, and I am crazy. And, you know, from the outside looking in, sometimes you don't look like you're crazy. And people don't come up to you and say, oh, I bet you're crazy on the inside. Um, from the outside looking in, I looked okay. And from the inside looking out, I was a mess. And I just made a phone call, and I ended up back at AA, and I got a sponsor who was in both programs. And and I started going to OA again and getting abstinent. And by the grace of God, it's been 36 years, one day at a time. Uh, no bulimia and three meals a day and no recreational sugar. And I've gone, I just, you know, I have to say, OA has always been my bottom line program, but I have tried all of the food programs. I've been in Gray Sheet, I've been in FA, I've been in Weight Watchers, I've been in um, FA, Gray Sheet, How, and um, I'm really glad to be in OA today, but I have to say I had to try all of them, and they all work. They all work if I'm willing to do what it takes to stay there. And I got to the point in the last program that I went to that as I'm getting older, I had to. I made a decision that I wanted to live my life happy, joyous, and free, and I wanted to live three, eat three meals a day. I, I haven't had to go back to sugar but there were things in other programs that I just couldn't imagine doing one day at a time for the rest of my life. So I've had to pick an I've picked an absence that works for me, and working with a sponsor again, and doing the writing and committing the food. And you know, the day before I ever decide to go back to the basics, I never think I can do it. And it doesn't matter how much time I have. It could be a month, a week, a year, 15 years. You know, I, I've gotten to different plateaus where I think, you know, where I get complacent. I've gotten complacent at different times, and I think, you know, I just can't do it. And once I make the decision to do it, because it's just a decision. It's not like big deal. It's a decision. You can, I can make a decision in a split second. I can change my mind in a minute, and my world can change. 
it's not like I have to travel to make it happen. It's like right here, right now. And I made a decision that I wanted it different again because I know what it feels like to be clear and to be present and to take care of myself. I know how good it feels to be abstinent, to eat three meals a day, to not eat those things that even though I might call them my abstinence that get in the way of me, and happy, of me being happy, joyous, and free. I know the difference. And, um, and it just takes making that decision to ask for help and to let someone know my secrets and to do it differently. And it's not that big a deal. It feels like a really big deal until I make that decision. And, you know, in the process of, of being absent and, and in, in the years I've been here, it's, you know, life happens to all of us. I mean, lose jobs, get jobs, meet relationships, lose relationships. Lots of stuff. Lose your, lost my parents, my married, got married, got divorced. Just stuff. But I haven't had to go through any of it alone. And I, I've been able to, um, people have been there for me. All, in all the ways that if I'm willing to reach out and ask for help, um, people are there for me. And if, I, if I'm not willing, people can't read my mind. But one of my biggest fears was when, because it, it was just my mother, my sister, and myself, um, and my dad, and we didn't have any other relatives here. Everyone was in Chicago. And my biggest fear was going through losing a parent and having to go through it alone. And the people that showed up for me were the people in these rooms. They were the pallbearers at the funerals. They helped me get through everything I needed to get through. I didn't have to go through any of it alone. And I got married kind of late in life, in my late 40s, and I didn't have to go through that alone. And when I got divorced, I didn't have to go through that alone. And I didn't have to use food. I didn't have to use drugs. I didn't have to use alcohol. I didn't have to ever go back to the way it used to be. And, um, you know, in my, I don't remember, let's see, like, well, the steps, I'll just go through them for a minute. The first step is it took me a while to admit that I was powerless over drugs, food, and alcohol, and that my life was unmanageable. And the second step says we come to believe there's a power greater than myself. And for anyone that's new, like this room is a power greater than myself. My sponsor is a power greater than myself. The book is a power greater than myself. So I began to believe there was a power greater than myself that I could turn to for help. The third step says we're, we turn our life and our will over. And I used to think that, you know, I used to run, I mean, if I wanted anything out of life, I just believed I could make it happen in my will. You know, I didn't care. Just like, get out of my way. You know, I'm coming through, and this is what I want. And my will took over. And the third step says we turn our will and our life over, which to me means we take the action, whether it's for looking for, you know, work or for anything. For um, We take the action to ask for help, to get abstinent, to make changes, and we leave the results to, to God, you know. And the fourth step says we're as sick as our secrets, and I write down my secrets and I tell them to somebody. And this is, you know, a process that's like not in one day, one week, one month, one year. It's like over a period of time. And so over the period of years, I've 
written inventories and I've turned it over and I've asked God to help me with my defects of character, my self-centeredness, my fears, my selfishness, all of that. I've asked for help to find a better way to, to live in the solution. And when I, before I got abstinent, there was no solution. Everything was the problem. Drama, my life was like either really high or really low. There was no living in the middle. And um, everything was thinking about the problem, talking about the problem, discussing the problem, and finding people that would listen to the problem. <laughs> and and today, it's, today it's about, you know, having a problem and getting into the solution. And there is a lot of solution in these rooms, in the book, in the steps. And um, so over the years, I've gotten in touch with a lot of my defects of character, and I've, I've learned how to make amends, and um, I've learned how to... Um, I've always prayed every morning I get on my knees, and I've done that since the beginning. I, I just say, Dear God, please keep me clean and sober and abstinent. And every night I thank God. And... Um, I've been meditating a little bit again, sitting still for a few minutes, and I used to meditate by jogging and talking to the trees or whatever, but I didn't. I haven't always meditated, but today I'm meditating again. And the 12 steps says we carry the message and we participate in our recovery and we, we, you know, we're of service. And I'll just share that, like, I can't remember. Let's see, 1986. 1986, I had sobriety and I had abstinence and I didn't like my job situation and um, I went to see Chuck C. And in those days, anyone could see him. You didn't have to be special. You just had to go. And uh, he lived in Laguna and his house overlooked the ocean and he said if the ocean was scotch, there would never be enough. And, <laughs> and um, I could totally identify with that because there was never enough attention, never enough strokes, never enough money, never enough anything to fill up the hole inside. And um, so I started to talk to him about the work situation because I wasn't happy at work. And, you know, he said, you go to work for fun and for free. And, you know, I used to go to work just for a paycheck, not for fun and for free. And it was more like being of service, doing a good job, showing up, being accountable. So I started praying that I wish I could find something where I could be of service, do a good job, be accountable. And it really didn't take that long. It was like within a very short amount of time, um, I went out to buy tennis shoes one day, ran into somebody, told me I should call his wife, called her. She had found something that, you know, she thought I could sell. I, I thought I'd try it, and that was 29 years ago. And I've been doing it ever since, one day at a time. And I found a, a, a business for me where I could be a, of service, where I could be self-supporting. I've always been self-supporting, but um, where I could be self-supporting and I could be accountable, um, I could do a good job, and... Um, and some days I make a little, and some days I make a lot, and it's not always about what I make. It's just about how I am out there in the world. And all of that I learned here because because I'm a compulsive overeater. And um, I'm so grateful that I found these rooms and that, that, you know, that I found a solution for me. And this certainly isn't for everybody. If it was these rooms, you wouldn't even be able to get through the door. These are for, this is for people who want it, not just for people who need it. 
and um, I'm just grateful that I've wanted it, that I've, that I've kept coming back, that I've been willing to show up, that I am willing to ask for help, that I am willing to do the work, and when I'm not willing, that um, I act as if. Because one thing I've learned is, um, God, it's only 6 o'clock. <laughs> one, one thing I've learned is to take millions of contrary actions. Millions. Like, I get up in the morning, and I definitely don't want to go to work out this morning. There's no way I feel like going. But I go anyway. Do I want to go? No. But I do it. After I do it, I'm happy. The same with sometimes going to a meeting. I don't always want to go, but after I go, I'm happy. Sometimes I don't want to pick up the phone and be of service. But after I do it, I'm grateful that I'm willing to do it. And all of that I've learned in these rooms. I came to these rooms, and I did not want to be of service. I felt like I felt like my par- I was a, in, um, I felt like my parents needed a lot of service. They needed me to do to take care of them in many ways. And I was exhausted from that, or burnt out, or something. And I decided that I wasn't going to be of service. And I came to this room, so I learned how to take contrary actions. And that's just acting as if and doing it anyway, in spite of the way I think and in spite of the way I feel. And that has changed my life. There were many times when I started my business or going on an appointment where I would think, I can't do this. My first thought is, I I don't want to do it, I can't do it, or I won't do it. That's my first thought. My second thought is, I'm going to do I can do it, I will do it, I'm doing it. But that's not my first thought. Sometimes it gets easier and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so I don't know. It's just been quite a journey. It really has. It's like when I think about the way it used to be and how unmanageable my life was and how thinking about food took up so much time and energy and worrying about my weight. And, you know, for, it's just not like that today. Thank God. You know, there's so much time to do. When I when I do three meals a day, there is so much living in between. And when I meant was it was into the food and everything else, it just took up everything. It took it took up my life. It took up space. It took up time. It took up my energy. It took it just depleted me. And you know, there's always more work to do. Like I'm in therapy right now, and one of the things that I'm working on is feeling my feelings, I still don't want to feel my feelings, you know, and she's brought it to my attention that, you know, that I just don't feel a lot of times, that I keep myself so busy all the time that that I just don't get in touch with my feelings or feel my body, and um, I don't know why this is coming up at this point in my life, but I guess that's what, what I'm supposed to be looking at, and I'm willing to look at it. You know, I had something happen yesterday where someone got in touch with me that took me out when I was 20. That was quite a while ago. And we had we had lunch, and, I mean, he's happily married, and he's been married for 35 years. And my mother and sister always told me, you know, how could you have not, I mean, this was such a great guy. And he is a great guy, but my head wasn't into that when I met him all that all those years ago. And... And I was thinking about that. It's just like we get to where we get to when we get there. Who knows what God has in store? 
I'm willing to be open to the possibilities of whatever. And um, today I want God's will for me, not my will for me. And I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to be, to be open and to be honest and to be real. And um, a lot of people have fallen by the wayside. I mean, I do not have a lot of people in my life today that, you know, that aren't supposed to be there. Um, actually, I'd like to have more friends in my life today that I, that I, you know, more real friends. But I'm open to see what happens. I'm open to being authentic and to being myself and to see who God puts into my life. And, um, you know, I'd rather be alone, which actually that's been easier for me than, you know, I like being alone in a lot of ways, but I'd rather be alone than be with the people that aren't supposed to be in my life. So, I don't know. We'll see what God has in store. But I just know if I was into the food, I would not have the job I have today, would not have the house I have today, I would not have the people in my life that I do have today, I would not have the clarity that I have today, I would not be able to look in the mirror that I looked in years ago and couldn't see myself. I would not be able to look in that mirror and like the person that's looking back at me today. And all of that has to do with being abstinent and being present and working the steps and, and being of service to the best of my ability. So I'm going to open it up for sharing, for if anyone has any questions. Thank you. So we do questions for... She asked what nugget, being around for a while, she's asked me to share what nuggets. And the, the nuggets I can share is just to get a sponsor and to, to do what they say and to take direction and to go to meetings and to, have, to be of service and to tell someone your secrets and be willing, willing and ask God for help to, to let go of the things that stand in your way of being happy and... and um, that's what I would share. She asked how I maintain a connection with God on a daily basis. And I, the, the way I maintain a connection is I get on my knees every single morning, no matter where I'm with, at, who I'm with, what I'm doing. I get on my knees and I ask God to keep me clean and sober and absent. Every night I thank God. And in the early days and even now, if I'm having a problem during the day, if I'm especially in the early days when I, w- you know, when I was getting absent, I would make a lot of phone calls. I would ask questions. I would go into a bathroom stall and ask God for help. I would, I would pray. Um, that's how I maintain a connection. She asked, after being in a lot of food programs, how I would define my abstinence. And basically I define my abstinence as three meals a day, no sugar, um, for the most part, no white flour, and um, when I'm home, I weigh and measure to the best of my ability the protein, but not everything all the time. But I came to, you know, it's been a while since I've been doing this, and and um, I know what works for me and what doesn't, but I'm willing to talk to someone about asking, I still will ask questions, what do you think about this, or what do you think about that? And if it's not working for me, I'll let it go. She asked for me to share about some of the amends I made to make a, that have made a big difference in my recovery. 
Um, I can tell you about a couple of the amends, and one was I was really nasty to a girlfriend of mine's boyfriend years ago. I can't remember exactly in what way, but I just remember writing him a letter and expecting a response right away, and I think maybe three years later <laughs> he responded to that because maybe he was looking at his own stuff. I don't know. It, you know, but what I've learned about the amends is that it's for, it's for me to feel better and not about the other person responding and I learned how to be a living amends to my parents because they got to see me give away furniture and act crazy when I was into my disease and and while they were alive they get they got to see me act differently and be a responsible person because I was sober and abstinent and so I got to be a living amends and then one other amends, I remember switching price tags like years ago at, at May Company or something, and and uh, I went to make an amends for that, and the woman just said, you know, give it to charity, and I and uh, I ran into her, I think, at the market or something after that, and I think she asked me if, if I gave it to charity, but, um, you know, the amends... Oh, and, and this wasn't the right reason to make the amends to make company. I, I was going in for an operation, and I thought maybe it, the operation wouldn't go right if I didn't make the amends. <laughs> so it doesn't matter what gets you there as long as you do it. <laughs> yes, sometimes I'll have to dinner at 10 o'clock, but I don't eat anything at that whole time. Oh, the question was, if I have lunch at 1 o'clock and I don't eat to eight, till 8 o'clock, do I eat anything in between? But I don't eat anything in between. Not that there's anything wrong with it. Some people have snacks. I just never have. She asked if I express my spirituality in any religious way. No. <laughs> <laughs> she asked if I could talk about my experience working the sixth and seventh step, which is the which is the character defect steps. I'm actually working on them now. Um, I wrote a list of my fears and my resentments, and um, and now I'm going to take a look at what I wrote and see what I could do about you know if there's a solution to some of these fears. Some of them are real. Some of them aren't really that real, but it's how I feel inside. But um, I guess the, the character defects, which have to do with, let's say, fear, so a contrary action would be to, well, to realize if it's really a real fear or not, but to take a contrary action to that feeling or... Um, I ask God to help me with my character defects. And sometimes, when I think writing about them helps me look at the solution also and then discussing them with another person instead of leaving it to my own self to make up my mind what they really mean. So it's a process. The, the character defects, it's not like they all go away in one day. I mean, it takes new ones come up, old ones go away, and... Um, I have some of the same fears that I've always had, especially in relationships, but I think being willing to reveal them or ask God to help me with them changes things. Okay, thank you.